The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove Jesus out of into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. So Mark has a sense of urgency in his good news account of the good news of Jesus. Um, Perhaps that's because his source, Peter, was in his apprenticeship to Jesus, and until his final days of tending Jesus' sheep out of love for Jesus, a man prone to action. Peter was a man ready to step out, speak up, and to get to work in living faith. And so like Peter, Mark's gospel jumps right into Jesus' revelatory light, jumps immediately into epiphany. Yeah, he wastes no time with backstory. No detailed lineage, no foreshadowing monologue, no how do we get here details of characters all too quickly forgotten. Instead, one simple introductory sentence. The good news of Jesus Christ begins here as a reference for context, and then wham, God's arrival, the action underway. John the baptizer in step with the prophets of old prepares us for the immediate entrance of Jesus into the story of salvation. Jesus baptized and Jesus affirmed. Jesus tested and Jesus proven. John silenced and Jesus amplified, all in 15 verses. Mark, in 15 short verses, does what Matthew takes 65 verses to do and what Luke, 185 verses to accomplish. To get, to, uh, to get us to the arrival of God right here with us. God alive and at work in his story, in the story of humanity, in our story. The plot movement in the 39 prequels we call the Old Testament is assumed and culminated in Jesus' inaugural declaration. His very first words, his words of enlightenment. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There it is. The word that became flesh, speaking words that become life. These are Jesus' first recorded words. The in the beginning kind of words, through which a life and ministry, a death and resurrection was launched that literally created the world anew. They are the words that set the course for everything Jesus did. 
Words he tried every way possible to get through our skulls and into our souls. Heaving them on us in his teaching and preaching, hurling them at us through his miracles and ministry, and then finally heaping them on like a, like a, like a grandmother who's, uh, with a grandchild whose plate's not full enough. Just heaping them, helping after helping on. Heaping them onto our imagination in parable upon parable. And so it would be wise for us to consider and receive these first enlightening words of Jesus as we enter into the stories of Jesus in the coming weeks. Like Mark's introduction, there is, says Frederick Buckner, a kind of breathlessness in these three short sentences, an urgency in these sentences. The question is, what do they urgently mean to us, who probably know them so well that we hardly hear them anymore? How many times have we heard these words? Not as Jesus' first words, not as words that we didn't know what Jesus was about to do, not words like a light entering into a dark room that suddenly reveal but have become all too familiar for us. So before we keep going into the parables, we need to take a moment to enter the room afresh, anew, to let these words read us. So these words, three sentences. The time is fulfilled. Time's up. There's two sides to Jesus' first sentence. There's a shadow side and a bright side. Let's start with the shadows and see if we can work our way out of it. There is, in Jesus' first words, a foreboding weight that every Jew, especially those who had come out and followed John, the baptizer, into the countryside, would have recognized immediately. Like the prophets of old, which John followed in tow, Jesus, too, declared the end. The time is fulfilled. The time is up. The arrival of the last day is are here. Time's up. The days are here in which what was started long ago will finally finish. That's what his words mean. The days we live, says Jesus, are the last days. Not literally, of course. The calendar has turned over some 2,000 and more times since Jesus shed light on this dark fact. And yet, what Jesus reveals is the dark truth that the world is always coming to an end. That's the fact of darkness in which Advent's flicker found us, remember? The darkness that we carry with us, the source of our own destruction, no less than the Roman and the Jewish world of Jesus' day, carried it with them. That in the long run, we always are always in danger of one way or another destroying ourselves utterly. That is our human dilemma. That is a shadow that, that hovers over all of our lives. No matter how close to heaven our towers reach, no matter how, um, how much we think we can insulate ourselves, With man-made lights, we never escape the dust, and we never completely flee the dark. Time's up on life on our terms, Jesus says. Our Babel building, king like all other kings demanding, time is over, Jesus says. Judgment, here's the Jew, has arrived, in the words of Jesus. What is in the darkness will be exposed for what it is. That's what they had waited for. That's what drove those out to this countryside when John said, repent. He said the kingdom of God is coming. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight the path for the Lord. He's calling them to the end, that the end is here, that God's arrival is here, and that what is not God's will be exposed and destroyed. And only what is God's, what is God, will remain. That's the shadowy side of it. But there's another side to time is fulfilled. A brighter side that stirs us not just to fear and trembling, to a just fear, a righteous fear, a fear of, Oh my goodness, the creator of the world is coming. All that is goodness and truth and beauty is going to come and remove all that's not. 
but one that is not just just to just fear and trembling, but to an urgency to get to an urgency to get right, but also has within it the energy of hope that we can live differently, that things are different. Jesus means, says one pastor, the time is ripe, finally and fully ready for God's action to end all that ends life. Because remember, Jesus didn't just say one sentence. The time is fulfilled. Time is up. He said, time is up. God's kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Out of the shadows and into the light, Jesus says. God here and now and through him is acting to end all that ends life. What is ending is the end, says Jesus. All those things in the world and in us, those facts of darkness, disperse, fleeing the brilliance of an all-consuming light. What is temporary? Life on our own that always ends in death. The shadow that hangs over all of us is overcome by what is eternal. Life forever in God's life that is always. This is what kingdom truly is. Life in God's life and God's life in our life. This is what Jesus said in Luke. He said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. It's not coming in merely miraculous signs or in military signs or in economic signs or in any sort of way that we can see it in, its, in, cl- in clarity of what we're looking for. Nor will he, Jesus says, nor will they say, look, here it is, as if it's just clear and present. Or there it is, as if you can't deny its presence. For behold, says Jesus, the kingdom of God is within you, is in your grasp. There's something about life in God and God's life in us that stays hidden, even in the light, which is why we need seasons like Epiphany. The kingdom of God is not merely life under the rule of kings as we know them. That's not what God is, what Jesus is promising. That the world is going to look like God is our king, God is our president, God, Jesus is our ruler, and everything submits and falls into the systems and structures of authority that we experience in our day-to-day life. But rather, the kingdom of God is life through the light of life himself. And it's here. It's now. It's even while the darkness persists. If anyone else would have said it, we'd hardly believe it. That the kingdom of God is here. Not in the future, not when, not when all that is opposed to God's kingdom is removed. Not when it's clear that there's only one king, the King Jesus. Not, not when it's clear that God is the creator and ruler of all things and nothing, there's no challenge to it. Not, not then is the kingdom of God here, but now. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of difficulties, Again, if anybody else said it, we'd hardly believe it. And sometimes if we're honest, we hardly believe it, even though Jesus is the one who said it. But like those who heard Jesus say these words in the flesh, like Peter who was there, something in what Jesus says rings true in our hearts, doesn't it? That the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. God's life is in you, and you're in God's life. Something about these words calls us to step into the light and see through the dimness of our lives, of life itself. To see that the human propensity, even if unintentional, is to destroy. But neither it nor the forces behind 
such self-absorption are actually in charge. Rather, God in His mercy and His grace and truth is in charge of the world. That such glory, brilliance, is actually observable if we just know what to look for. And not a mere will be seen as in charge in some distant dream, but is at hand indeed. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus said. So close we can almost reach out our hands and touch it. So close, contends Frederick Buckner, that sometimes it almost reaches out and takes us by the hand. Sometimes it's so close that we feel like we can reach out and touch it. But sometimes it's almost as if it reaches out and takes us by hand. But here's the thing. Those same called out ones, the ones who saw through Jesus, who had enlightened them by the true light of what was coming to an end and what was beginning anew, when Jesus returned to the Father, when he left them from face to face, when his glory wasn't observable, like you can see me and I can see you, they seem to have gone on working at pretty much whatever they had been working at before. Which means that Jesus didn't so much call them out of their ordinary lives as he called them out of believing the ordinary life is ordinary. We talk about that a lot as a faith family, don't we? That we're called to follow Jesus in our ordinary lives and the ups and downs of our ordinary days. But the ordinary actually isn't ordinary at all. Jesus called them and he calls us still to see that no matter how ordinary it may seem to us as we live it, life is indeed extraordinary. The kingdom of God is at hand. In one manner of speaking, that's what Jesus' parables reveal to us in their ordinary everyday language. Their characters and events that everybody would know, that everybody would recognize. And that's what the season of Epiphany is meant to help us see. That indeed in the ordinary things of life is where the kingdom of God is. To see life, even at its most monotonous and backbreaking and heart-numbing, has the kingdom of God buried in it the way a field has a treasure buried in it. Like Jesus said. That life, even the most ordinary ones, has within them the pearl of such tremendous value that when we recognize it, we give up everything to gain what we've searched our entire existence to find. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like a great feast that everyone is invited to, and yet nobody wants to attend. If only we had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, contends one author, we would know that the kingdom of God, our life in God's life, and a sense of holiness, goodness, beauty, truth, is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what all of us hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it is what we are starving to death for. God's life in us, our life in God's. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from says one author, in our truest prayers. We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. You ever had one of those moments? <laughs> we catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us, come to us, not out of us, but come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. It's what our scriptures say. And whether we realize it or not, we're all homesick for it. And so Jesus says, move from the shadows of time's fulfillment, of time's up, of the end is here, 
It's all culminated here. And move into the light, the kingdom of God. Jesus says it this way, repent and believe the gospel. Change your life and believe the good news, as one translation puts it. Turn around. That's what repent means. Turn 180 degrees, undergo a complete change of mind, of heart, of direction, and go another way. The way that is the way, the truth, and the life. The life to the Father, the life in the Father, to your true home and your true self. Turn away from madness, cruelty, shallowness, self-absorption, blindness in the shadows. Turn towards the light of life, to compassion and sanity, to hope, to justice, which we all have in us at our best when we are truly home and truly ourselves as we are made to be. Live, Jesus says, as though the kingdom of God is here already because there are moments when it almost is. And believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Believe that God is for you and that God is with you. And even in you, and that what we anticipated in Advent, what we received at Christmas, is nothing less than the love of God. God who is love, at work within us, to desire, to work within us, to give us the power, the energy to do what he pleases him and makes the world new. The power, the energy which is in Jesus, and before which all other powers on earth and in heaven give way, the power that holds all things in existence from the sparrow's eye to the farthest star is above all else a loving power. That means we are loved even in our lostness. That means we are precious, every one of us, whether we find in the stories ahead that we are the lost sheep and coins, whether we're the prodigals or the embittered siblings, whether we're the dishonest managers or the attentive preparers or the sleepy forgetters or the faithful and the faithless servants. Someday the precious time will be up for each of us. Our end will come. But, says Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand, here, now, through him. Nothing is different. At least it can appear that way in the shadows. And yet everything is different in the light of the world that Jesus makes. That's what's true of this new year. That's why we celebrate a new year as new. That while nothing changed from December 31st to January 1st, did it? Nothing literally changed, but yet everything changed. Nothing changed, and yet everything has changed. That's the reality that we live in. It reaches out to us, to each precious one of us, grabs our hands while there's still time, what the writer of Hebrews says. As long as today is called today, it's a day to turn to grab hold of the kingdom that's grabbing hold of you. And so Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is, as one writer put it, and I know this is not grammatically correct, but it's a great, great quote, it's gooder than we ever dared hope. The love, the good news that we are loved is gooder than we ever dared hope. And that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with the good news and its giver, is of all things in this world, the gladdest things of all. And so in this happy new year, this happy new beginning, as we enter again the season of epiphany, let us consider what we, what we believe and what we are living out of, toward, and in love with, letting the words of Jesus reveal what the stories of Jesus are meant to show us.
And so here's what we're going to do for the remainder of our time together. And for those that maybe aren't used to this, the way we do this as a faith family is we, we enjoy this time, um, and we try to make this space a space where we can listen as much as we, um, not just to the words read or words sung, but we can actually listen to the voice who is the voice of life, to God's voice. And so for the next few minutes, we're just going to sit in the words of Jesus. And so what I'm going to do for you is this. In just a moment, on the screen will, will, be, will be the three sentences of Jesus. Time's up. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. You can throw that slide back up, um, Amber. Um, and when, and just for a few moments, in the quiet, I'm just going to ask you to ask the Spirit to draw you to one of those sentences. So to ask the Spirit, what, what sentence am I drawing to? What do, you, what do you want me to hear? What, what is it that you have for me in this new year? The time is fulfilled, both its shadow and its brightness. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Just let the Spirit lead you, whichever one you settle on. And then ask. Ask Him, the Spirit, the one who will guide you to all truth, as Jesus said. The truth of who God is and the truth of, in your own heart. Ask the Spirit to let you see what Jesus reveals and is still revealing with these words. Remember, these words are the words that Jesus, were the first words of Jesus' ministry. These words sparked life, just as the words of in the beginning God created sparked life. So let these words spark in us new life. Let the light and energy of Jesus' urgent yet non-anxious declaration charge you up. Be for you the energy to love and live in God's kingdom. To seek it first and find in your seeking that you are actually the one that's found. And then turn and believe that indeed the time is up. God's kingdom is at hand and is here. And so, if you will, just close your eyes. Take three deep breaths with me. Again, you can look down at the ground if you're more comfortable just looking at the ground. But the, the, the point is just to be still and be in this space. Breathing in. God is, breathing out with me. Breathing in, deep breath, hold it for just a couple seconds. Breathing out with me. God is, with me. And then let the Spirit just guide you to one of these sentences. Time is up. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. I'll pray for us, and I'll let you just sit in the quiet, the instructions up on the screen. Father, we thank you that your son came, that you revealed him to us as your only son, whom you are well pleased. Lord, and in his life, through his words, by his work, we know you, and we know ourselves. So help us to see all that Jesus is showing us today and in the days to come. In your son's name.